Welcome to Medical Matters Weekly with Dr. Trey Dobson, presented by Southwestern Vermont Healthcare and Catamount Access Television. Welcome, everyone. Today is September 19th, 2022. We are recording for Wednesday, September 21st. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. My guest today is Mark David. He is the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. Mark, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Trey, I'm so glad to be here. Happy to be in a conversation with you. Great. Thank you. A little bit about Mark uh, for our audience here. Earned a master's in psychology at Sonoma State University and went on to originate the field of eating psychology, which is the subject matter uh, today. He's the author of several best-selling books, including Nourishing Wisdom, A Mind-Body Approach to Nutrition and Well-Being. And we'll put a lot of this information up on our website. And he's been featured in, in many media outlets, including CNN, NBC, The New York Times, and of course, now this podcast, which we are very excited about. Uh, and he's also consulted for several places, including Johnson & Johnson, the Disney company. Uh, but what many in the audience uh, may recognize from near this area is Canyon Ranch Resorts. So, uh, Mark, tell us a little bit about where you're from. And actually, where are you right this moment? Because you have a pretty neat setup in your home or office. In this moment, I'm in my home office in the beautiful state of Colorado in the city of Boulder, where I've been for about 20 years. Absolutely love it here. Originally from Brooklyn, New York, and spent about 20 years in Western Massachusetts. So not too far from you all um, in the uh, Great Barrington area. That's fantastic. Um, I spent a little time in Boulder. I went to uh, the University of Wyoming in, in Laramie for graduate school. And I was just out there with my uh, son in Colorado Springs, who's just started at, at Colorado College. Uh, so great place. Boulder's a great place to be, very healthy place to be, I take it. It is. Everybody does something here. They're walking, they're hiking, they're biking. It's a real outdoor community. I love it. So you were originally, uh, according to my notes here, you were originally a medical student and then sort of switched a bit and uh, went into psychology. Is that correct? Yes. You know, I had the dream back in the late 70s when I was in college, I wanted to be a nutritionally oriented medical doctor. And back then that was, I don't know, it was sort of admitting you wanted to be a witch doctor or something. And I assumed I could, I could get through medical school because, as you know, you don't necessarily learn a lot of nutrition in medical school. So I was figuring, okay, I'm going to get through school and then really learn clinical nutrition and functional medicine, that sort of thing. And just a short ways through my medical education, I realized I was starving to learn more about what I truly wanted to know about, which was nutrition, which was the influence of food on the body, the influence of food on our health. Because for my own personal journey, I was born sickly, I was asthmatic, I almost died a number of times in infancy from asthma, from some uh, unknown autoimmune condition. And my parents took me from doctor to doctor. Uh, they tried their best, nothing worked. And I remember I was about five years old. I heard a rumor that fruits and vegetables were good for you. I asked my mom to change my diet. Uh, and, you know, cause I was raised on the generation of Fruit Loops and Kool-Aid and Velveeta cheese and TV dinners and 
I don't think I ever saw anything natural. And coincidence or not, my health started to change. So from a very young age, I was bit with the bug of, gosh, food is magic. Food can impact my health. It was shocking to me. And and so and that's what got you interested in medicine in the first place. You got into medical school. Were you do you think you were disillusioned or do you think you just figured I need to focus my efforts elsewhere? Yes, to all of that. Um, you know, a part of me knew what I was getting into and a part of me felt disillusioned and a part of me um, was just so driven to take my education into my own hands. Mm -hmm. I was more focused on, I want to learn what I want to learn. And at that point, what I wanted to learn was nutrition. At that point, I wanted to learn the clinical applications of nutrition on, with various disease conditions. And, you know, so once I, once I left school, I apprenticed with, I traveled around the country, I find, found any practitioner that I could, that I could apprentice with. I learned a bunch. And at some point I opened up my own practice in New York City. I was in my early twenties and I had an office on Wall Street and my clientele were very high powered, very motivated, um, very intelligent people. They all wanted to lose, most wanted to lose weight. Some were binge eating, overeating, but essentially most came to see me for weight loss. And what I discovered was I tell them what to do eat this, don't eat that, here's the sheet. And they come back a week or two later and most people would say to me, I know what you told me to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just can't do it. And I remember there was just this little aha light bulb went off in my mind because for me, it had been so easy. Oh, just eat this and don't eat that. I can follow any diet I want. And I realized that if I didn't understand the mind of the eater, if I didn't understand the psychology of who we are as eaters, what's, what's motivating us, what's inspiring us, what's holding us back, why can't we do the thing that we know is good for us? Until I learned that, I don't really know that I can help somebody. So that's when I began a journey into really trying to learn eating psychology. And I discovered very quickly there wasn't any. Um, I could I could find a few graduate programs that would teach me about eating disorders. And I thought eating disorders were interesting, but I wanted to know about the other 98 percent of the population that didn't have a clinical concern with anorexia or bulimia or extreme obesity. What about every person that I knew who was overeating or binge eating or emotional eating or wanted to lose 20 pounds or 50 pounds or 100 pounds? So there seemed to be this underserved group of human beings who struggle in their relationship with food and body. So I found a school that would let me do an independent study uh, in eating psychology, and I was off to the races. So, you know, some of, many of the things that you just talked about are so intriguing to me, including the word you use, struggle, because I was thinking that in my head. It's interesting how there are there's um, a large number of people who struggle with this aspect uh, of eating healthy, and for the for those who don't struggle with it, it's hard to relate. You know, why does this person have that much difficulty? As you said, why can't you just follow these directions? Um, but there's so much more behind it, and 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 on the other hand, you know, people that don't struggle with eating choices and eating healthy probably struggle with other aspects of their life. 
uh, that many other people may not. And so you're exactly right, learning that. And it, and of course, there's no one right answer or even 50 right answers. There's going to be a lot more depending on the person's you know, background and what's you know, bringing them to that situation. I, I can't believe you got an independent study um, back then. I mean, today, independent study is sort of a, a hip thing to do, and a lot of colleges and graduate schools are allowing that. How did you convince you know, your professors to allow you to do this? Apparently, it wasn't very difficult. I just gave a long presentation on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to learn and why. And fortunately, it was a state school in California, but they were very progressive. They had a very progressive psychology department. So I believe they really welcomed uh, somebody like myself who was coming in with a lot of passion and was trying to uh, um, do some original work in a field that really didn't exist at that time. So mm -hmm. I was met with a lot of support. You know, um, you probably gave a very compelling um, argument to why you need to be doing this and that maybe due consciously or subconsciously to that background of when you were five and six and seven years old uh, and, and struggling and, and, you know, were able to change your life almost through a circumstantial type exposure uh, to the fruits and vegetables. I love how you said, though, right away, um, you know, there was a cause and effect there. In your mind, you changed your diet and you got better. And is that cause and effect real? Um, and the answer, of course, is most likely yes, but not just related to the actual science of, of the food, but also the mental aspect, the almost placebo, and then also other effects of being healthy in the in the first place. I know I just said a bunch of mouthful stuff, but I think about these things a lot and it fascinates me and um, and I'm psyched to have you on the show today. Yes, thank you. You know, so much about it, I, I think, is our connection to our own body, our own body wisdom, our own naturalness, our own instincts, which these days, if you're a human being on planet Earth, we aren't necessarily in our natural environment. Uh, you know, I, I love my house, but I essentially live in a box and I'm working all day on a computer. I'm focused on a box. And when I'm not in front of the computer, I'm looking at my cell phone. It's another little box. And we're not generally taught to listen to the body, to tap into it. So we're conditioned from a young age, you know, here's what you should eat. And what I should eat is what's in the house. It's what my parents buy. It's what's being advertised at me on the TV. And it's what everybody else seems to be eating. And so natural for a young person to assume this is what I ought to eat because it's what's available and it's what's in the supermarket. And as it turns out, that's not so true. Right. Um, humans need to, you know, any creature in the natural world, they're born, they have an instinctive knowing of what they should eat. You know, cows aren't hanging out in the fields, you know, confused about if they should eat grass or a palm tree, or it's like they know what they should do. Um, they're not worried about it. Humans, at some point, we realize that we, we've got options. And we realize that there's different approaches. And we realize that different cultures across the globe eat differently. And then we realize there's this thing called eating for health. And not only can you eat for health, but there's so many different approaches to eating for health. You can get online, you can go into a bookstore, go into a bookstore, you, you, can, you can get 50 different books written by an MD, a PhD, an expert, 
and they're all telling you something different and they all have scientific proof. So we face an interesting challenge. Um, there's a lot of nutritional confusion out there. There's a lot of nutritional refugees, I find. People, they, they have so much information in their head. And at some point, we have to learn, I think, how to take that information and become what I like to call a nutritional explorer. Meaning, okay, let's try this and see what happens. Okay, so you're attracted to being a vegetarian? Go for it. Give me a report. Oh, you've been a vegetarian for 10 years and you're attracted to eating meat? Great. Go for it. Let's talk about it. How does that feel? Did it help any of your symptoms? I think we're missing the spirit of experimentation when it comes to nutrition because nutrition is a young science to begin with. And there's no group of people in white coats, you know, all standing around nodding their heads in agreement about what everyone should eat. That's the perfect diet for all humanity. I don't think there's a perfect way to eat. I think there's great ideas. I think there's great guidelines, but goodness, we're all different. We all have different climate, different time of year that we're living in. We have different, we're different age, we're different sex, different lifestyle, different desires, different preferences, different genetics. And you wrap that all up together. And there's probably as many useful nutritional systems as there are people on planet earth, I think. Right, right. So do you still see patients um, in real time or are you mostly um, focused on authoring books these days? I'm mostly teaching. So at the Institute, we train professionals in the modalities of, you know, eating psychology and mind-body nutrition. And I always see a small number of clients just to, just to, just to keep my toolkit sharp and to keep myself growing. Um and I love it. You know, it's it's just sort of how I started. I started focusing on my own body and then focusing on other people's bodies. And I, I just find it really fascinating. What compelled you to start uh, writing books? You know, once I realized that I needed to learn eating psychology in order to help people with their weight or their overeating or their emotional eating, uh, or they're binge eating, or even people who said, I want to be healthy. But even though you just gave me this healthy diet, I, for some reason, I can't eat it. So I thought, okay, well, let me go read a book. That's going to tell me how to figure all this out. And there wasn't any book and there wasn't any course. So right. I remember the moment I said to myself, huh, I'm the guy that's going to write the book and I'm the guy that's going to create the course. But in order to be the person that writes the book that I wish to read or create the course that I wish I could take, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to do some learning. here. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to learn on the job. So, you know, I spent a good, I don't know, 30 years in clinical practice. I spent I, I saw clients from all walks of life, all, all different kinds of challenges, whether medical, metabolic, nutrition eating challenges, eating disorders, all of it. I just wanted to get as much experience as I could. And, you know, gradually began to try different methods, uh, try different approaches, combining what I'd learned in psychology, combining what I'd learned in mind-body science. I started having success with people where previously they were having no success. And people would come away happier where previously they were very unhappy. 
So at some point, uh, I reached a place where I was effective and where I just felt, okay, I have something to say that's useful. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to teach. And interestingly, my, I wrote my first book at age 29. It got published when I was 30 by Random House. Um, that book is Nourishing Wisdom. It's still in print 30 something years later. Um, wow. Yeah, I was just I was just very inspired. Did you read a lot of Diet for New America and all of those books before you ventured on your own? You know, Diet for a New America came out after my first book. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's funny. It was it, it might have been with my publisher. I'm forgetting now. Um, but, you know, back in the 1970s, you could read every popular nutrition book. There weren't a lot of them. Uh, right. Late 70s, early 80s, I had I had read every popular nutrition book, um, every out-of-print nutrition book that I could find, and most nutrition textbooks. Um, there, there literally, there just wasn't much. Um, so at some point, I could easily say, okay, I've read everything, and no wonder people are still confused. No wonder people don't know what to eat. Um, so that's what I wanted to address as well, to, to just help people understand the field of nutrition from a more meta perspective and help people see, okay, stop looking for the perfect way to eat. Stop looking for the perfect diet and begin listening to your body, begin experimenting and start doing some of the things that will train you to be an eater because what's happening is so many people, we get into dieting mentality, particularly around weight loss. And weight loss becomes this lifestyle of how do I not eat? <laughs> how do I control my appetite? How do I have more willpower? How do I avoid food? How do I maybe skip a couple of meals? How do I eat only, you know, 500 calories a day or whatever people are doing? So they're essentially training themselves how not to eat. And what I was starting to see was actually people need to learn how to eat. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I noticed is that many human beings, particularly when it comes to weight loss, many human beings have the unnoticed, unconscious belief that food is my enemy. After all, if you're trying to lose weight, you want to lose a bunch of body fat. How did the body fat get there? Well, it got there, I guess, because of food. Right. And even though the body fat's the enemy, I'm trying to exercise it off. I'm trying to diet it off. Really, it's the food that put it there. So if I could just control the food, I could control the fat. So food's my enemy. And then people are trying to limit their appetite, which you can't. Mm -hmm. Your appetite is, is it's natural. It's, it's there to keep you alive. People think they have a willpower problem when it comes to food. But what happens is if you eat fast, if you eat really quickly, brain doesn't have enough time to register taste, pleasure, aroma, satisfaction, the visuals of a meal, what, what scientists call the cephalic phase digestive response, cephalic of the head. So it's the head phase of digestion. And literally digestion begins in the mind. The brain is requiring, we're all programmed to seek pleasure and avoid pain. Every creature, seek pleasure, avoid pain. When you eat, you're seeking the pleasure of food, you're avoiding the pain of hunger. So when we don't get the pleasure we seek from food, the brain's not smart enough to say, hey, you ate your meal really fast. 
Most people have had the experience where you eat a big meal, you ate a big meal, your belly feels full, but your mouth still feels hungry. That's because the brain and the belly, the enteric nervous system, it's distended and the brain and the belly says, hey, there's a lot of food here, full. The head brain is going, I don't remember taste, I didn't get pleasure, I didn't get satisfaction. Where's my eating experience? Hungry. And then so we're driven to eat more because we ate fast. Another reason that we're driven to eat more is that we're under stress. So anytime we eat in a, in a stress response, a physiologic stress response, sympathetic nervous system dominance, if I'm in fear, anxiety, upset, anger, and I eat, there's a part of my brain thinking I'm in a stress response, I'm running from a lion. Because that's what the stress response is. It's designed to help us survive a life-threatening situation. So stress physiology, as you know, it differs from relaxation physiology. So when I'm in stress physiology, not only is my heart rate going up, my blood pressure is going up, um, I'm producing more insulin and cortisol. Day in and day out, those hormones will tend to skew the body towards weight gain or weight loss resistance or fat deposition. When you're hyper-producing enough insulin and cortisol, body weight's going to come on. So additionally, in a stress response, appetite is deregulated. Essentially, when you're running from a lion, you don't want to, first of all, your digestion is completely shut down because all the metabolic energy wants to be rerouted into survival. So when you eat and you're in a stress response, you're in some degree of digestive shutdown, which means you're excreting nutrition. Um, on top of that, appetite is deregulated because when you're running from a lion, you don't want to get, I don't know, sidetracked looking for chocolate. All your energy is focused on survival. So people, many people will say, when I'm stressed, I eat more. And one of the reasons is, okay, stress has deregulated your appetite. And what is food an amazing remedy for? Food is an amazing remedy for stress. Feel bad, eat food, feel better. Food relaxes us. Your favorite food, even your not favorite food can relax you. So that's a that's that's an experience we carry from infancy. You're crying, you're screaming, you're upset, and mama gives you bottle or breast, and you immediately relax. So we know that food relaxes me, so we're going to be looking to food unconsciously when we're stressed, we're anxious, we're in fear, we're in upset. I don't like my life. I don't like my job. Well, let me medicate that. And the best medication is, or the easiest medication is often food. So somehow I got to that place just yakking away here, but just, just thinking about no, what gets in people's way when it comes to a healthy relationship with food. It's learning how to be an eater. Um, many people have to relearn food is my friend. And at the same time, What's the opt? How was I designed to be an eater? You're designed most efficiently to digest and assimilate your meal in a relaxation response. That's when your fullest, healthiest digestive metabolism is turned on. And oddly enough, that's when we do the bulk of our calorie burning, not when you're in a stress response. Like, yeah, you're going to burn a lot of calories if you exercise an hour a day, but the majority of our calories are burned in the other 23 hours. And if I'm in a, and if I'm stressed out, then I'm creating the hormonal conditions mm -hmm. to 
create weight gain or weight loss resistance. Again, the opposite of what people want. I'm deregulating appetite, the opposite of what most people want. Yeah, you know, what you talk about, and, and I'm sure in your books as well, is different from the pop culture of the multi-level marketing schemes out there, which really do focus on how to avoid most all foods. You know, sometimes they use a ploy like eat just this food, uh, knowing that you, you can't eat too many uh, oranges or whatever the focus of the, the diet is. And it really is just kind of scaring people away from food, which is not healthy. You know, as a physician, I, I see that and it's it's not healthy. Have you seen, um, have you listened to the podcast Fed Up? It's it's about a month old. No. It's, um, it's pretty good. I'm certainly not plugging a podcast, but I like to listen to podcasts. There's an older, you know, from several years ago, um, uh, you know, video documentary called Fed Up. This is completely different. And anyway, it's Fed Up. It's a current um, podcast and it's, a, you know, five series uh, show about a multi-level marketing scheme on diets. And it's just it's just fairly interesting um, showing you how uh, different it is now compared to when you started and there was no information out there. Now there's too much information, too much of the wrong information. And unfortunately, uh, it, it causes a fear in individuals, a fear of food or a fear of eating, which is uh, as unhealthy as they probably were to begin with. Um, so how do you, you know, I know you probably have many clients or when you teach, you you work towards, how do you have people avoid some of these quick fix diet, uh, diet aspects out there and really focus on eating healthy? You know, I think the first key thing is to help people see that, that that's, here's how you're being conditioned by the world around you. You're being conditioned with quick fixes. You got a problem that's really bugging you. You're in a lot of pain. You're in a lot of upset. You're unhappy. Boom, here's a quick fix. Here's a quick fix to make money. Buy a lottery ticket. Here's a quick fix to lose weight. I don't know. Here's a pill or a diet. We we get conditioned um, by the media, by a lot of by a lot of the corporations to want the quick fix because it's kind of sexy and nobody wants to be in pain all the time. So if I can get a quick fix, then great. So I'll ask people, I'll say to people, okay, you know, how long have you been weight loss dieting? Now, if I ask that question of a 30 year old person, they'll usually tell me about 15, 16, 17 years. If I ask that question of a 40 year old person, they've been dieting 25 years. I've worked with women in their eighties who've been dieting for 60 something years. So always let them know, okay, so you've been on all these quote-unquote quick-fix diets, but they haven't worked for you. So I want to help people see that based on their own experience, if you've tried quick-fix approaches or quick-fix supplements or whatever it is, has it worked for you? And if the answer is no, great, then let's explore what are the other possibilities for you? whether it's you being healthy, whether it's you losing weight, how else can we frame your journey with food so it's more positive, so you're not fighting a battle? Because what happens is people end up fighting against themselves. And they're mm -hmm. fighting their appetite, they're fighting their desires, they're fighting pleasure. And when I'm fighting all day, I'm in a stress response. And when I'm in a stress response, I am not in the place of higher cognitive thinking. I'm not in my prefrontal cortex. 
I'm not doing thinking that's wise, that creates synthesis, that creates insight. When we're in a stress response, we have instinctive thinking, for sure, that's survival based in the moment. But for human beings, when we're in stress-based thinking, we're looking for quick fixes. <laughs> we're looking to get out of pain and we'll listen to anything. So I, I'm always wanting the people I speak with, students, clients, family, friends, loved ones, you know, to, to first and foremost be empowered in their own experience because we're giving away a lot of our power to the experts. And we're always trying to find mm -hmm. what I've noticed. A lot of people are looking for, well, who's the, who's the best expert? Who's the person with the best nutrition knowledge? Because that's the guy I'm going to follow or that's the gal I'm going to follow. And I just tell people, you know, everybody's got something good to say. Take the nugget of wisdom. There's usually a nugget of wisdom in any dietary approach. If it's if you're looking at somebody talking about a vegan diet, sure. Yeah. Try a vegan diet. Um, you know, sometimes diet, sometimes different nutritional approaches can be very therapeutic, but they are not necessarily good for long-term maintenance eating. There are many people who, who, who do great on name, any kind of diet, paleo, raw food, vegan, vegetarian, they do great short-term or mid-term, but long-term they don't fare so well because these diets can have a therapeutic um, benefit but, you know, maybe same for a particular drug that you might give a patient to. Um, you're not going to necessarily give a drug and say, okay, take this drug for the rest of your life. You want to give them the drug so that, okay, the pain is down, the swelling is down. Great. That's done its job. It's not that it's a bad drug anymore. It did its job. Right. So sometimes diet does its job for us. And we have to notice, okay, what's a diet that I can subsist on day in and day out? Because I notice a lot of people will get attracted to the latest kind of fad diet, um, but it's too hard for them to follow. And then if it's too hard for them to follow, they get down on themselves. I'm a willpower weekly. Well, guess what? If you're on a low carbohydrate diet and you're craving carbs, you're not a willpower weekly. You're craving carbohydrates. Maybe your body needs some fiber. Maybe your body needs some fruit. Maybe your body needs some sugar. Um, that's, that, that's perfectly reasonable, but people will go into a whole dark tunnel of something's wrong with me. And that belief that something's wrong with me can really, um, dominate our life. Right. You know, for the audience, um, we had a really good discussion about 50 episodes ago or so with Tim Van Orden uh, on this exact topic. So go back and, and listen to that 25-minute uh, episode. I can't remember what number it is, but it was much earlier in this podcast. Mark, we are out of time. I'm going to ask two quick questions. For, so for the audience, um, and someone wants to, they're hearing you, they want to read your books. How do they go about selecting and, and obtaining a coach? Great question. If you want to get a coach who's trained in our, our modality, go to our website, psychologyofeating.com. We have a directory there of many of our graduates, psychologyofeating.com, easy place to find out about getting a coach and learning about what we all do. We also have on social media, we're on Facebook, right. Instagram, YouTube, all kind of free content. 
That's great. And what are you looking to uh, looking forward to both personally and professionally or one of those two uh, as the audience uh, has gotten to know you today? Professionally, I am looking forward to writing my next couple of books. I'm always too busy, but it's almost like the books are in my head and I just got to squeeze them out. And personally, I am looking forward to at some point soon living by the ocean. I've been in beautiful Colorado for many, many years, and I'm a, I'm an ocean guy at heart. So I'm missing the water. You know, make that move. That's great. Well, I would say come visit us in Vermont sometime. We're not on the ocean, but you can come see us in the mountains. And and I'd, I'd love to meet you in person, Mark. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Trey. It was a great conversation. Absolutely. And, and I also thank Jim from Cat TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do, even in the face of adversity. And we'll see you again next week.